Blog Talk Radio. Ray and Tay today. Yes, Sports Radio's on. Talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on. From the NFL to the NBA. MLB and college shooters do it all day. College football, we know who's number one. Understand, on the phones, you know we get it done. So call in 718-664-9098, and we'll give you more. Talking sports. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray, Tall Rayside. And I'm Tay, Eric Taylor, and we are live Monday afternoon. we got a lot to talk about. It is media night, not media day. The Super Bowl is coming up finally, not too far away from now. So give us a call. Let's get involved. We'll talk a little bit of everything. 718-664-9098. Like always, your emails, today at gmail.com. Check out rayandtaytoday.com. Very interactive, cool website. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, YouTube, Ray and Tay, we are here for you. Ray, it was, I guess, kind of like a, an all-star weekend. The Pro Bowl was fun. We'll talk about that. The hockey, you get the NBA getting ready, some great games, but... It's really all about college basketball right now. It's shining. It's taking over. And Super Bowl 50. So let's start off. I want to ask you, have some fun with the Super Bowl. We'll get ready for the Pro Bowl. Team Irvin, they win. Over Team (laughs) Rice. Do you care? But obviously America cares because it got decent ratings. What do you think? Uh, This one is so hard because (laughs) – even the NFL would like to get rid of this because at the end of the day, it's not real. It's not really what the NFL wants to put forward, but fans just love it. Fans eat up football and probably fans are getting sentimental thinking next Sunday for the Super Bowl is the last game until, you know, late August, early September. So I don't like it. It's, It's become, it's just become a sham. Plus, you know, if they play hard, they might get hurt. So they don't play hard, and then it's not real football. So I, I don't like it. I mean, I watch it, but I guess I'm like everybody else. You know, I, I watch it because these are the players that I love to see. I just don't love the format. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's a violent sport. So I understand why they have the rules in place that they do. Um, the little the, the coaches picking Team Rice and Team Irv, uh, that's all a joke to me. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I kind of agree, but a couple of things, right? People watch because it is football, and it's the last time you get to see these guys before, like you said, August. Um, you know, you, 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 this week you find yourself, gosh, like, you know, you're about to have a breakup with a longtime girlfriend or boyfriend for whoever, you know what I mean? Because next Sunday is it. So that then it's fun to see. Listen, Russell Wilson, I think he got the MVP. I mean, three touchdowns and started the game off with a bomb to Hopkins. I mean, that part of it's kind of fun to see that. I like seeing Todd Gurley scored. You know, there's some excitement. But at the end of the day, you know, you're looking at Hawaii. It's back there. It's beautiful. Uh, I guess it's, it's something. And then now it's over and you get ready for this week. But it was good to say goodbye to Charles Woodson, man. And then we have the news. We got to talk about it. Is our boy going to retire? This Lions are saying that he said he would think about maybe coming back, but basically he said this is it, nine years. Megatron, if it is done for nine years, is he? A, we know he's a Hall of Famer, but is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? The nine best years that maybe any receiver has put up. What are your thoughts on that? So sometimes we get caught up a little bit in first ballot, second ballot, and and especially the old school voters in baseball are like, oh no, this guy's not a first ballot. This guy is a first ballot. Is Charles, <laughs> you know, is Megatron a Hall of Famer? I was going to say Charles Woodson, but yeah, is Megatron a Hall of Famer? Oh, they're both Hall of Famers. <laughs> is he first ballot? <clears throat> I don't know. People will give him. They might give him the Heisman. Because uh, the proverbial Heisman, right, the anti uh, pose, because he didn't do anything really in the playoffs. 
He never really carried his team, made them better. Some of it, not his fault. I'm just sad that they never really put it together, he and Stafford, and you know now they have Golden Tate, and they, they always had this circle of running backs. If, in fact, he retires, I'm going to be sad because I never saw Megatron play in meaningful games. I saw Megatron as being the best athlete out there, maybe physically the best receiver. I mean, he's Randy Moss, but with 25 pounds. You know what I mean? This guy is unbelievable, and the best story is that he showed up at the Combine thinking I was going to either be the second or third pick in the draft, ended up being second coming out of Georgia Tech. And, you know, he didn't do all the drills. And then they said to him, Calvin, you want to run? He's like, ah, you know, I don't know. So he borrowed somebody's shoes and ran a 4-3-40. Like, okay, let me just borrow somebody else's kicks. Yeah, throw them on, stretch I can do it. Bit, and... <laughs> no, right, he's great. No, I mean, and that right there sums it up. He was so dominant, I mean, for a long time. The injuries, the health, he got two, you know, good paychecks. Um, I wish him well, and sort of like Barry Sanders leaving a little early, maybe it's just part of the Lions' legacy. But we had out there on Twitter this morning, you see, like, you know, the trend from 2011 has gone up. Last year, 19 players retired at the age of 30 or younger, and this is happening. You know, where back in 2011, it was five. So between money, guys investing, guys worried about concussions and their health, you know, sometimes guys are tapping out a little bit earlier. And I was saying that it affects the locker room with veterans and guys being more mature and learning and stuff like that. So it'll be an interest, interesting trend and, to follow this and off his parents, Check this out. And his parents are professors at Georgia Tech, right? So he's no dummy. And I wonder if, like all of what you said, plus his parents getting in his ear – you know, and, and his family getting his ear like, with the two big pay, paydays, like you said, now with the concussion moving, now with the data, you know, he's always wanted to do things. Even even his senior project at Georgia Tech was, uh, or, or his, you know, thesis project or whatever, was, was, was a, like thoughtful. He wasn't thinking basket weaving, you know what I mean? This guy has always been a little bit different in a good way, you know? He's a smart kid. His parents are, are, are obviously intellectuals. So maybe, you know, like you said, this is a trend. We're not going to see the 15-year, 20-year player, especially if you're not a kicker or a quarterback, where those, those players get a little bit more protected than other players. Coddled. You know, if you're a contact. You want to say coddled, don't you? They get coddled. Coddled a little bit, yeah, of course, protected. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. If you're a contact, I mean, definitely running back, but even receiver. And the last couple of years, Calvin's been, been dealing with – he hasn't really been dealing with concussions, thankfully, but it's been – Physically tough for him to get through the 16-game season. Oh, ankles, knees. They said almost half his career he's been on the injury report, 80 weeks. So that that's pretty fascinating, you know. So let's let's start chewing on this Super Bowl, man. You know, I don't know if you saw it. You know, they moved media day till tonight, which is interesting. The Broncos landed first, and the Panthers, Cam, you know, had on his – uh, very interesting, I guess, Versace pants and this and that, the whole style, the leather jacket, and I got to give it to him. You know, I wouldn't put it on, but I guess he was working it. Um, I'm excited about the game. You know, I mean, it's good to see, I guess, halftime now. Coldplay's got some help with Beyonce and Bruno Mars, I guess, sort of taking two of the best from recent years to help join with them, which is pretty smart from the NFL since Bruno and Beyonce did such a great job. Uh, normally the game kicks off at 6.18. They moved it back to 6.30. More prime time, I guess, audience, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But when it comes down to it, are you more fascinated to see sort of the number one offense of the Panthers go up against the number one Broncos defense, which in history the, Bron- the defense has been 9-2 and two in Super Bowls for number one, or the number six defense of the Panthers go up against, I believe it's number 19's offense. What intrigues you and will be a bigger factor in the game? So the Panthers' offense and the Denver defense will be the bigger factor in the game, in my opinion, because there's a fear that Carolina blows them out. Um, Denver cannot score 30. So if Carolina runs the blitzkrieg on 
the Broncos like they did against the Panthers and against the Seahawks, Denver Broncos get blown out like they did in the Seattle Super Bowl two years ago. So that, that to me, is, is most important in determining the score because Denver can only win and be in a low-scoring game. However, I want to see Peyton Manning. I mean, look, I want to see Cam Newton, and I want to see him do well, and, and he's the new face. But I want to see, from, from a legacy standpoint, how Peyton goes out. I want to see this guy that everybody knows he can't make throws beyond 20 yards. But everybody also knows he might just be the smartest, crappiest line of scrimmage, you know, play caller, audible caller, whatever you want to call it, shot caller, b-baller. <laughs> so I want to see how a physically limited Peyton Manning performs against an outstanding Carolina defense with – you know, hopefully for their sake, Jared Allen back, Thomas Davis back, everybody healthy, full full speed ahead. You know what I mean? I hate to see injuries in the Super Bowl, right? I want everybody to be healthy. So to uh-huh. me, that's that's the story, right? Does Peyton Manning go one and three in Super Bowls? Can he go two and two? Can he go reach that elite status of having won multiple Super Bowls? And it, and and if you're true to yourself. You know, you would like to see that for Peyton. Now, it's going to be a, a tall order, and it's going to be very difficult, and they're a four, four-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, but that, to me, is the intriguing story. That's the storyline that I'm most interested in seeing. How well can Peyton execute against a very good, uh, if not outstanding, Carolina defense? Well, I'll say a couple of things. I definitely agree with you. One thing that's fascinating to me when you look back at NFL history, I think if you looked at four or five or, you know, even three pillars, Peyton Manning is definitely changed the game and the position where he's been the quarterback slash OC and changed the sort of doing your homework, film study, play calling, audibles. You know, he's, he's in, intellectualized the quarterback position to a new height. Um, you know, maybe you could say other people changed it maybe back in the days, Otto Graham, Don Hudson, Jim Brown, Lawrence Taylor, you know, different, different guys were such major factors in their errors. And I think definitely Peyton has been that. So the nostalgia, you know, the, the nostalgic part of me really wants to see Manning right off into the sunset like Elway and Elway realized he had to design and build this team so it could be like the team he was on. And I think he's done a great job of doing that, right? It's been two years that he went and got all the moves. DeMarcus Ware fell into his lap. He had Von Miller. He went and got, you know, Tlaib and, you know, Chris Harris and, you know, these linebackers he's gotten, Trayvon and Marshall. You know, he's done a fantastic job where Manning's got offensive weapons, defensive, you know, you know, you can question the O-line in the running game, right, where Elway had that better. But I'll say this, you want to see, could he have, you know, two weeks rest, could he have one more game where he finds Sanders in the slot and he's deep down the field in the center, right? You know, he can't get on the outside anymore, but, you know, down the field to maybe Owen Daniels or, God forbid, Vernon Davis back playing home in Santa Clara at Niner. Yep, he had no catches in the playoffs. But I listen, I would bet, right? I would bet, and we'll talk about these prop bets. I would bet Vernon Davis gets more than one reception in the Super Bowl. I think we're gonna see Vernon Davis show up a little bit. And I think that would help Manning. But to me, that's fascinating. Can they if the Panthers put up twenty four, is that game over? You know, that's the sort of the range to me. Can they can the Broncos, can Manning deliver you three touchdowns and a couple of field goals? And that's the question. So, you know, I'd really like to see where he mentally and physically can say, you know what, I can do enough to, you know, to get it, you know, down the field. You know, but the reality is if they don't get the ball at all to Demarius Thomas, and we've seen the great stories about his mother finally getting to see him play, um, you know, as uh, Obama, you know, uh, did uh, clemency for a bunch of different people, 46 or 48 people choose one of them just for drug charges. She got out. So could, could he get 
if he doesn't get Demarius involved, how do they score? And that's what you were saying. And and to me, it's going to have to be some of these patterns, you know, down down in the middle of the field, a little bit deeper. Can he do it? So let me ask you about this with the prop bets, right? So they want to know, like, well, here's one of them. Will Peyton Manning cry sometime during the game? It's always from kickoff to the end of the broadcast. Will we see Peyton Manning cry? What do you think? Yes or no? <laughs> I would say yes, because he knows in his heart this is his last game. So either he's going to cry tears of joy or tears of pain. Okay. What about uh, how many times do you think we will see uh, John Elway? I think they had it at five or six or something. Or five I was going to say, yeah, not quite double digits, but between five and ten. So I would say over on five or six. Yeah. And then uh, I tell you, they have so many, it's kind of ridiculous. But even if we thought of some of our own, it's kind of fun. But one thing I would say, I bet they, they were talking about how many times they're going to refer to Peyton Manning being 39 and the oldest quarterback ever. And they were, that was at, like, oh. I think, three and a half. I think it would be, like, what do you think, at least four times, five? Yeah, yeah, I'll take you over on that, too. Well, you know they'll do it in the beginning game, and then for the second half audience, they'll sort of – re-sum it up like where he's at and how he's doing if during the end if they're losing they'll refer to it in terms of will he retire at this age and then if he's winning then they have to mention that he's the oldest to win it right so that's at least three you 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 got locked in there i don't know man it's it's gonna be all right you know you don't want to blow out and as we spoke to our guest, Adam Archuleta, last week, you know, before looking at the tape, he kind of felt like the Panthers could win by 10 or more. You know, if they jump on them early, it could get, it could get not ugly, but it could get a little whatever. But if the Broncos defense forces Cam to dink and dunk and maybe make some bad decisions with the way these corners play and if the two safeties are healthy, because, you know, that's the key, right, or the self, or the board – and um, the other safety, are they going to be healthy enough to really, you know, play at their best to affect Cam? What do you, what do you think? And, and should they spy him? So I'd say one I of the big things. Him, what do you think? Well, one of the big things Wade <clears throat> Phillips has to decide is how to defend Cam. And I think you have to spy him in certain situations because it's down, devastating. <laughs> Yeah, it's also devastating to a defense, you know, to play great fundamentals, to to have your secondary play well, have your edge pass rushers rush the quarterback, and then to have Cam, you know, bounce up the middle, run for 12, and then get you a first down. Ultimately, I'm a believer in mixing it up. I don't think you can play one way, uh, but you do have to spy Cam in certain situations. I, I do think so. And you know what? It's okay because the running game – I mean, except for Ted Ginn, he's the only one that can really blow the top off the defense speed-wise. You know, even the running game is more of a three yards and a cloud of dust. You know what I mean? Jonathan Stewart, uh, these guys, if they're healthy, Tolbert, they're not Cameron Artis Payne if he comes in and, and you know in relief or, or what have you. They're not – it's not Adrian Peterson, right? And it's You're not, not Calvin Johnson, yeah. right? You're not really scared of them, but what you what – you, what you are worried about is Cam extending drives and keeping you off the field. So, yeah, I think, I think you have to mix it up. No, those, those are very good points, you know, and I, I like to see, you know, special teams. Does anybody take a chance? You know, you think about Sean Payton with that brave call, the onside kick, start the second half. Does anybody, you know, go for it in that sense, fake field goals, fake punts, yada, yada, yada. Uh, one prop bet, though, Ray, yes or no, will there be an earthquake during the game? Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> I would say no. That's like See, one in a that's, million. That's where it gets a little, little silly, man. But, look, basically, we're going to fully preview and break down offense, defense, our thoughts on Friday. It's, it's, it's going to – be a great preview show. We'll try to work on a guest. We'll see what we can pull up. But, you know, we've already had a, a big guest last week. Go back and listen to Artem, Adam Archuleta of CBS Sports and formerly the St. Louis Rams on our show. Check him out at rayandtaytoday.com. Um, media day tonight. Anybody stand out? Any controversy? 
I think, you know, ESPN already interviewed Cam that he sort of clarified the question about, you know, race and yada, yada, about him being different. I think that's really a non-issue. I think it's more like, to me, it's more generational. Does he celebrate too much or does, does he not? Yes, there is a race issue in terms of people maybe not giving him the pass they might give to a white quarterback like Brady celebrating, you know, because he's black. But I don't think he's liked or disliked simply because he's an African-American quarterback. You know what I mean? I mean, I, to me, I think we're, for the most part, we're past that, except for like, you know, these ignorant ladies who've been sending these letters to the editor of like, oh, he, he's this and that, you know, that stuff. You're always going to get people like that. You can't control that, you know. Anything tonight you think in media day, any craziness? You know, media day usually gets you where you least expect it. So Cam Newton is so polished that he always likes to throw a little zinger in there here and there, but he, he he's media savvy, right? Peyton Manning's been through this for 19 seasons, so he he's media savvy. Plus he's been to three Super Bowls before this. Uh, somebody somewhere is going to say something crazy, and who knows who it'll be? It Josh be Norman. Back up. <laughs> uh, Josh Josh Norman's pretty. Uh... He is. He's pretty fiery. Um, you know what? But he wants to be an elite cornerback. So I, I think he wants to, you know, maybe he tries to be like Richard Sherman and he tries to get under somebody's skin, you know, calls Demarius Thomas overrated or Emmanuel Sanders wow. overrated. I don't there know. You there you go. Maybe. I can see. Okay. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So let, let's keep it moving, man. We'll, we'll get back to the Super Bowl. We touched on Megatron. Let's talk about this All-Star game. You know, I think hockey – I got to tell you, I saw Saturday night, some of their events were really fascinating to see guys shoot it and how fast, 105 miles per hour and 102, their shots and their slap shots. It's amazing. But I find the actual game weird how they do it uh, for the divisions, right? So they have Pacific against Central, Atlantic, Atlantic against Metro, and then the two winners play each other. But overall, I guess they gave the MVP to John Scott. What do you think about NHL All-Star Weekend? Um, and does it help for the second half? This, this attention, because I think it got more attention than it normally would have because of John Scott. Don't you agree? Yeah, of course. So I think that it, it's funny. This is the, the, the John Scott All-Star game, which if there could be anybody more <laughs> – you couldn't find that person. Well, I saw my boy Yager scored. Yager scored a goal. That was cool. What's that? I said my boy Yager scored a goal. Scored oh, a goal. Yager at 43 is getting it done. But, yeah, I mean, but Yama Yager is a, is a, is a, a ten-time all-star, you know? No, he's that's what's so great, though, because you know he's at the end. He's crazy old, but he got one in. I was like, go ahead, buddy. Right. So, it's crazy. Um, I think at this point – any press is good press in the sense yeah. that for hockey, right? Yeah. Hockey needs as much press as they can get. And now people want to follow the game more. Great. You know, the three-on-threes are pretty interesting. The skills competition is pretty cool. They had the kid, you know, skating around the rink, 19-year-old kid, you know, breaking the uh, fastest man around the rink record. So all in all, great weekend for hockey. Um, in the big picture, it's kind of interesting that it took a journeyman being voted in by the fans to, to bring all this attention, but they, they needed it. And I think they did great. And him winning the MVP is just icing on the cake. So kudos to John Scott, man. That is really a funny story. Cause when you look back in the history books and you look at who the NHL all-star MVPs were, and oh, you wow. see John Scott, you're going to be like, what? Who's that Ooh. guy? But it'll be a story. It'll be a story. No, you're right. You know what? You're right. They'll change the Good, good for him and his family, Ray. I, I, I'm happy. I'm really happy yeah, for him. good for him. And shame on the NHL for trying to make him back down from that and trying to dissuade him from playing in the game. That's ridiculous. You have a rule where the fans vote him in. This is one of the consequences. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally right. Totally right. So moving on to uh, the, the the big finals over the weekend in the Australian Open, wow, we were shocked because Serena goes down. What do you think about Angelica upsetting her, Ray? Hey, kudos <laughs> to Angelica because she had never even been in a final. 
So Kerber went as far as a semifinal, and everybody thought, you and I included, that Serena was just going to roll, like roll tight. But that's why they play the game. Serena hadn't even lost a set. I know. We spoke about that. Australian Open. She hadn't even lost a set. But you know what? Doesn't it prove? Doesn't it? Let me ask you. Doesn't it show you though? When you look at Serena, and let's say right now, uh, and, and we'll get to Djokovic, he he won. But doesn't it also show you how actually how great these guys are? Because people take it for granted. Like, it's such an earth-shocking thing when she lost the U.S. Open and she won the three previous majors. Well, now she loses the Australian Open in the finals, of course, and maybe she wins the, the rest of the three majors after this. Well, who knows? But the fact that... You know what? It's not easy to get through these tournaments and beat everybody. That you know what? You got to be on your game. And there are other players that are very good. And if they play their best, yeah, they can take out uh, Novak or Serena. And and kudos to her, right? But it also shows how good Serena and and Djokovic are, don't you think? You're absolutely right. And the old adage: if you play. To win the game, <laughs> but the old adage of seriously, you, you play. That's why you play the game. Right? That was the one yeah. I was looking for. You cannot take anything for granted, and it also tells you that even though Serena's the best, and even though she's probably the best of all time, even you still have to win on the court. There are no gimmies in professional sports. You have to go no. out there, and especially when you're playing in a finals. The other person is just as fired up, maybe even more fired up, frankly. Uh, And she was number seven in the world, so it wasn't like you were playing some kid off the street, which maybe in the first round of a tournament you might. But this woman, Kerber's 28 years old, and she's number seven in the world, so she can play. And it just tells you professional sports is really tough. That's why, you know, people look at look at these athletes and say, how did you lose that? How could you lose that? Well, the other person was trying just as hard to win. UNLV so, Duke, Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, yeah, you know? Yeah, well, Buster Douglas, yeah, exactly. Buster Douglas was a little bit different. UNLV Duke, it turned out that Duke team was pretty good. We just didn't know it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, no, uh, but I'm a just saying, like, later, you know, they were... anything could happen in that one live event and competition. And I think yeah. that's why we love it as fans. Sports sports will always be the best, you know, you know, people get hyped up for The Bachelor or, you know, Survivor, these other shows. Sports is the best reality show ever. That's why the Pro Bowl, as bad as it is, still can get a five rating, which is better. And I think the last year, the year before, was a seven. But even a five is still better than most of the playoffs in other sports. That's crazy. Right. You know what I mean? So kudos to that. I mean, we know the Super Bowl is going to have the huge numbers, probably in the 40s or 50s. The What the playoffs had the other week, uh, 30-something. So that's crazy. I mean, it's just great. And Djokovic, you know, just applaud him. He takes care of Murray. Look, at least Murray pushed it, right? 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, seven, six after the, uh, was it 6-1 in the first? 6-1, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and we thought Murray would, 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 would try and give you some effort. But, you know, the Joker's just too much. So Australian Open gets us started with the tennis season. We'll talk more about that, you know, as, as things come up. But, Ray, it is time to talk about another coach bites the dust. Look around the NBA, Jeff Hornacek, who, 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 you know, probably should have been fired maybe a little bit earlier. But, look, I think he lost the team. He does have a bunch of knuckleheads, but he had a bunch of injuries. Uh, I think the organization probably should have traded Marquise Morris with his brother Marcus. And and I think in some ways Jeff kind of lost the team, and I think he's a good coach. But – you know, they're talking about Steve Nash, and Nash doesn't want to go there. He's assisting the Warriors. Where do you think the Suns would go with their young roster? And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but Goodwin, Archie Goodwin and Devin Booker, uh, even Booker when he came to the Garden the other night and the, the Suns lost. But this guy, since he's been starting, I think, six or seven games, he's been averaging like 17 points a game, Devin Booker, from Kentucky. So kudos to him. He's starting to play some ball and get the minutes. But where do you think the Suns go from here? Look, uh, Knight, I don't know how long he's out for. Bledsoe's out for the season. 
Chandler's been in and out of the lineup. What, what's your feel on Phoenix and, and what they should do coaching-wise? So I don't know who the right coach is because I'll tell you why. To me, by the way, those Kentucky kids are quiet as kept. You know, Eric Bledsoe's a Kentucky kid that didn't get a lot of love. You know, we didn't know about him because he was backing up. You know, uh, who was he backing up? John Wall? Yeah. So nobody really knew about him, and he turned out to be and, and, and Goodwin. So Kentucky just – even fourth, fifth, sixth guys on that Kentucky team are, are doing it in the NBA. So oh, yeah, we'll talk about them in a minute because your boy got 26 – was it 26 or 28 points this weekend in the Kansas game? Tyler Ulis, he's getting busy, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, 5'9", yeah, yeah. no less. But yeah. – to me, the question is a GM question. I think you need to set the roster first because this team, remember, this is the same team that a year and a half ago had three point guards. They were rolling with uh, your boy Goran Dragic, your boy <laughs> Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas and, and Bledsoe. Bledsoe. And all of them, well, Dragic has some size, but Bledsoe's like 6'1", and Isaiah Thomas like 5'10". So what exactly is that? But the Phoenix Suns, to me, have to set their roster, a little bit like Philadelphia, a little bit like the Sixers. Determine who your roster is. What is your identity? Are you young? Yeah, are you fast? Are you big? Are yeah, you small? Do you play, have... you play offense? Whatever. So to <clears> me, you do that, and then you get a coach. I mean, unless you get a Phil Jackson and you build around him. But, but I think you have to set a franchise identity. You have to go get those people to play that role. And then, based on that, you get the best coach available for that type of team or that type of philosophy. Because to me, you know, Phoenix was playing really well, winning 40-some-odd games, close to 50 games. 48 games two years ago in the 19th. Yeah, and then it all fell apart. So, so to me, Phoenix is rebuilding. And, and the problem is the West is so brutal <laughs> that you don't even have – you can't even sniff the playoffs if you're Phoenix. So, to me, this is a time where you, you, you break it up, you, you rebuild, and you go with a youth program, and maybe in two, three years, when some of these elite teams, you know, when Chris Paul is on the decline, when, when Timmy's out of the league, and Chris, uh, Tony Parker's out of the league, and, and um, you know, maybe you can catch people because of your youth. Uh, but I do think that they have a roster issue. You know, we, we said this all along. I mean, these kids are Goodwin and Booker. Good for them because they are young, nice young players. But when Eric Bledsoe's your best player, you're not going anywhere, especially in that brutal Western Conference. And yeah. no disrespect to Eric Bledsoe, very good player, but he can't be your best player. Yeah, and I like Brandon Knight too. And they have Tyson Chandler, who I think he's on the downside of his career, but he can still sort of help. You need to develop Alex. He's a Lynn. perfect role player on the right team. Yes. But, Ray, they're 14 and 35. They are basically, you know, 15, they're 13th spot in the, in the West, you know, almost right there with Minnesota. They're tied with Minnesota, and the Lakers only were. So they're going to be a top-five lottery pick. Um, you know, you throw in Brooklyn and Philly on the east side. But I, I think the problem is after D'Antoni left and then they had Alvin Gentry – they still sort of are hanging on to that sort of regime and they haven't decided, are we going to still be run and gun or are we going to be, you know, something in between? And I think you're right. They've got to figure that out, clearly define it and then move from there. Cause I think that's, you know, but I, I do like, you know, um, the kid from NC state Warren and, and Goodwin and Booker. And so they've got some young pieces but they, they really have definitely got to, you know, figure it out. And even Alex Len. Um, the Warriors came to town to New York. And at 44-4 and four now, Ray, they wiped the Knicks up. You know, I mean, the Knicks it started off 7 nothing, and then the Knicks went on a 10-0 run, and then it was just goodbye. What's so amazing about Curry and Thompson, and people don't realize Thompson's uh, 21 a game. So Curry's number one. But Thompson's, you know, number whatever, but top 20 in scoring, too. And he, he had a bad start, too. He had a bad yes. first month of the season. Yeah, and then Draymond, I, you know, I'm at the point where not only is Draymond Green an all-star, but he's – there's times where he can play the three, four, and five, and his defense, his shooting, he's shooting over 40% from threes. He's such a versatile player, Ray. To me, he's like 
he's the poor man's MVP. So like, if I give Curry the MVP, I, I'm like, I'm gonna like cut off like the foot and then give that to Draymond. I mean, the kid is, uh, and 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 it says a lot, right? As we, you know, from this we'll go to college basketball, but it says a lot to a guy who stayed four years, and you know, where now we look at it like. You know, there's some like weird shaped ostrich monster if you stay four years and like, well, why? You know, but you know what? If guys stay and develop their game, they, I think sometimes you have a better chance at consistent success in the NBA compared to coming in as these young babies with all this potential and you might not play as much, and then you're on the bench and you lose confidence in the NBA. You know what I mean? It, it can be hit or miss. And um, and I think we'll we'll get into that with Buddy Hill being that example this year. We'll see how that works out. But do you think right now, besides Warriors, Spurs, and Cavs, is there anybody else that can come to that party? OKC, the Clippers have been fourteen and three without um, Blake. They've just been playing amazing. They spanked the Bulls on uh, Sunday afternoon. The Raptors, Ray. People aren't talking about them eleven in a row. Do any do, do any of those teams have a shot to interrupt the Cavs, Warriors, Spurs potential final meeting? I would say no. I would say that the West, anything can happen in the West, right? Because you might have to if you're the Spurs, Cav. I'm sorry, the Spurs, the Warriors, maybe the Clippers if they get it together you could potentially see them having to play 20 or 21 games to get to the finals. Maybe, maybe, maybe. If if all, you know, maybe you get a bad call here and there, one of your guys turns an ankle, whatever. So the West, in the finals, the team might be beat up a little bit, potentially. In the East, so, so in other words, I think the West could – you could throw a Clipper team in there. You could throw an Oklahoma City. You could maybe, maybe conceivably throw a Houston in there if they can redo what they did last year. So to me, in the West, it's four teams. But in the East, it's one team. I, I really don't think anybody has the firepower to mess around with the Cavs. Not only that, I think last year was perfect for the Cavs in terms of their psyche. You know, they got to the finals. They got within two games of the finals, uh, two games of the championship without their number two and number three players. So in some ways it's devastating, but in some ways it's confidence building because they say, wait a minute, despite the fact that we lost our guy, we're good enough to win a championship. So if they're down in a series, 2-1, 3-1, if they're down in a game, they can always dig deep and say, look, we've got three of the top 20 play, best players in the league, and we're good enough to go all the way. So I think in the East, it's all about the Cavs, and in the West, it's about four teams. So Toronto, Chicago, and Miami, right? No two, three, two, three, <laughs> and four. There's not a trade to be had with Brooklyn or with Phoenix or, you know, Philly that they could get another piece to, to, to push them to game seven with Cleveland? So now you're talking a little bit more interesting. As the rosters are configured now, I don't think so. Um, and Especially with Noah being out for the Bulls. The Bulls and Noah's out, yeah. So it's really the Bulls. I actually like, and you talked me into this, but I like yes, the I like Miami. roster. I do. I like the Heat roster. And I think that Dang is your sort of – underrated veteran, uh, Wade, kind of the fountain of youth guy, right, for two, three games in the, in a playoff series. Maybe he can carry you for, you know, a quarter or so, half per game. You know, Hassan Whiteside is, is, is an underrated rim defender. Uh, he's a he's difference like maker, Fox. potentially. He's definitely yeah, the difference maker. Yeah, is a wild card. So if you were to add – you know, another scorer on that team or somebody that can be a wing disruptor on that team, then you know what? Miami looks really interesting. Um, Goran Dragic, you know, we like his game, doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, but Wade and Dang do. 
that team to me is the team that's most interesting. Toronto, you know, you love Lowry and DeRozan, but in the front court, Chicago's got too. I mean, uh, Cleveland's got too much for them. So I, I I think Miami's the one team, and I think Chicago has no bullets to trade. You know what I mean? So I can't see who Chicago could bring back in return. Um, Miami though. You know, they can make one last run. Riley could say, look, I'm getting older. Wade is, you know, we're going to have to blow up this team after next year or at least, you know, not have Wade. So Miami's the one team I would look for to make a trade and, and potentially go for it. I'll say this, because um, I agree with you on, on most of it. Uh, if Toronto could improve, because I like Scola, Venezuelas, you know, whatever, and I think Carroll, they've been playing good without him, but when he gets back, it makes them with him and, and Ross and Corey Joseph, Lowry, DeRozan, you know, talented. And, and Carroll can definitely defend. But I think they would have to do more in the front court. Miami, definitely, I like their roster. And Justice Winslow is, is developing every night. OKC is the one, though, because of Batman and Superman, as I like to call them, Duran and Westbrook, who are so special. If you can get things from Cantor, Adams, Abaca, and Waiters, you know, they've got a lot of talent there that the two superstars, because I think if you're going to attack the Warriors, Ray, honestly, Warriors and Cavs, you know, when you've got someone like a Westbrook and a Durant, those two having it be the one and the three, that's where you need to attack both those teams. And Durant can can out-duel Draymond Green and deal with him. And I think Westbrook can do the same with Curry and make Curry work or make Clay Thompson work where he might not, you know what I mean? Usually do. I think we have to, you know, and and I'm not going to lie. That was my final pick. Okay. See, I still think that's the one team that they're sort of that sleeping giant that, you know, come playoffs, you know, they could go against San Antonio in the second round seven games and and potentially beat them um it'd, it'd be fun you know it'd really be fun and i don't think the clippers they don't think their story's done yet you know i know we had callers on the last show talking about trading blake which i just think is you know fool's goal you don't get the value back they're playing well without him but it's you know yada yada whatever look blake is you know still top six seven top five players in the league and when he comes back, it's only going to make them that much better that these other guys are playing and developing. So the West is not – I love the way Golden State is playing, but I just don't think it's over yet. You know what I mean? It's, it's really not over. So I want to ask you one last thing, though, about the East, right? Because, you know, we, we see the All-Stars and the rosters and this and that or whatever. Why – why are the Boston Celtics so good with such little talent? I mean, they're the sixth seed. They're, you know, Stevens has just got them playing, you know, good ball, 27 and 22. Every other night they, you know, face up against a team that might be better than them and they pull off these wins and upset them. Is it, is it because of the unselfish players and the coaching and these sort of like these combo guys Jay Crowder and Sullinger and, you know, they're sort of like uh, the land of misfits, right? They're sort of like these tweener yeah, players, yeah. tweener roster. What, what do you think about his coaching job? And obviously they, they, they're kind of stuck because they, they're not going to advance so much. But right now, is this are they building it the right way? So I don't so think they're don't building think it the they're right way. And I love what they've done. Uh, but I don't think you win with that roster. I think you win 40, 45, 48 games with that roster, and that's it. Uh, you know, yeah. To me, this is a league of stars. So if you want to yeah. win championships, and Danny Ainge knows that, if you want to win championships, you need two, if not three, stars. So you need to be Oklahoma City and not Boston. But given the roster that they have, you can't be happier with the job that Brad Stevens is doing. I tell you what, I'd rather have the Philadelphia – if I was the coach, I'd rather coach the Philadelphia 76ers than the Boston Celtics. I just hate their roster from a, from a long-term, you know, make an impact on the NBA perspective. 
to, to compete for a title, to, to get out of the – I mean, they don't get out of the first round. Uh, and, and no knock on any of their players, but who on their team would you want? You know, I mean, if you're a, you, we're, we're both right. fans, right? But if you're a Knicks fan, if you're anybody, who do you want? You want Isaiah Thomas on your team? Now Isaiah Thomas is good on a on a certain type of team. You want Jay Crowder? You want Jared Sullinger? Do you want Kelly Olynyk? Do you want Marcus Smart? I mean, who on that roster do you want? Avery Bradley, great defender, but undersized. You know, can't shoot and learning to shoot a little bit. So. You're right, Bradley. Uh, you know, Stevens is taking a bunch of guys that, frankly, I don't want if I'm a GM, and they're going to win, you know, 45 games, you know, maybe even as close to 50. That's really, really impressive. But if you ask me if they're building the right way, no, they're not building to a championship. They're building to being decent. You, you said it perfectly, and, for example – with that Philly roster, guess who's starting to play some decent ball? Nerlens Noel. And then you have Okafor. If you get Embiid and Sark, you're right. They're already closer to being good, even with less wins, you know, plus with this year's first-rounder as well, than Boston because Boston can't get free agents, and they're stuck in, you know, middle America sort of uh, roster. And – you know, I don't know if the Celtics fans with that, you know, tradition and history will be satisfied of sixth, seventh, and eighth seed losing in the first round every year. So you're perfectly right about that, Ray. And I don't know, don't know what they can do to really change it except get lucky and get, the, you know, get a lottery ball because most free agents aren't going to come, aren't going to come there. They don't have a Paul Pierce to attract the Ray Allen and, and, and get the Garnett. You know what I mean? So right. they're, they're sort of stuck. So let's get into it, man. It, it, it was the shining moment, I think, for the college basketball season where the NFL had the weekend off and it was sort of a not a quiet sports weekend, but an open sports weekend for someone to step up and shine. And for the college basketball to schedule – and we mentioned this on our show, to have the SEC Big 12 Challenge in the middle of the season where the ACC and Big 10s in the beginning, it actually was brilliant. And who knew that we would get, you know, the Big 12 won 7-3, but who knew that we would get these classic games? First, Florida upsets West Virginia. That was exciting. Didn't see that coming. But then you have the, the Kansas-Kentucky overtime classic, which you knew would be good, but it was better than, than I even thought. Oklahoma LSU back and forth, the Buddy Hield, Ben Simmons battle for the play of the year, and we'll t- break that down in a minute. And, you know, just good games, and then Texas A&M beating Iowa State. What was your, your outlook of, you know, we'll talk about the whole weekend, but the other games besides that, my Terps took care of business. But for that challenge and uh, the college basketball weekend, it sort of took me back to the old Big East games where it was a game at 12, and then at 2.30 and then 4.30 and set, you know what I mean? Like where you felt like all day you were watching great hoops. What was your uh, outtake on, on the college basketball weekend and, and how exciting the games were? Uh, it was awesome. And I think that what we've seen is that <clears throat> the best player in the country is probably Buddy Heald yes. in terms of his impact Ooh. on the game. The most talented player in the country is Ben Simmons. You know, at the next level, you're just dreaming. But you need to tell at, his teammates at, that, Ray. They didn't give the guy the ball. you got to tell his, his team, give the best player the ball. Yeah, they're struggling. I think he just needs to go because they, they don't know how to use him. And you got a talent like that. you got to figure it out. Um, Carolina's probably the deepest roster. And Duke is just oh. left the top 25. So after eight years of being yeah. in the top 25 every single week, Duke is no longer in the top 25. Now, they're only 15 and 6, right? They're not like St. John's having <laughs> just an awful season. Uh, uh, 14 or whatever the Johnnies are, yeah. And and, and that's that's a difficult one. Well, what do you do with Chris Mullen? I mean, you, you can't fire Chris Mullen, can you? You almost no, have no, to no. you got to give him time. To, he's, gonna build. he's building from scratch. You right. know, he's, he really is. He is. So, but but this weekend was great. You know, your Terps took care of Ohio State on a home and home. Um, 
the most interesting thing, like you said, was playing one of those, you know, SEC Big 12 tournaments in the middle of a season. It's great in January to see interconference rivalries, and or not rivalries, but interconference matchups in the middle of the season. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I thought that was great. And, you know, it's usually in November, December, when these teams aren't even hitting their stride. You know, they don't have their groove yet. You know, Stella's got to have her groove before she can get it back. You well, know what I mean? Can I ask you, wait, let me ask you something. That's funny. Let me ask you something about that, though, right? So we had the ACC Big Ten in the beginning, and then we had the SEC Big 12. When can we get, let's say, the following week or the week after the Super Bowl, I think next season I would propose Big East, Pac-12, get it on? So the – only issue I see there is you, you're coming really close to March. I think this is probably the latest you can do it because you do want to end the season with conference play. Uh, okay, just, just, just them challenging play each so other. Important. Even if they challenge each other in the second week of January, it still would be great. Right, or maybe you do it Super Bowl weekend. Maybe you do it Super Bowl Saturday. Yeah. You, you know, the Friday and Saturday of the Super Bowl because you don't want to go up against it on Sunday, but certainly right. the Friday and the Saturday – you could do no, you, I think, I think it would be possible. perfect, man. Yeah. So we, we, we that's another thing, our campaign. Yeah, Big East and Pac-12 might be a little hard because of the coast-to-coast travel. But otherwise, no, I think you're right. That, actually, that might be it. That might be the solution. So maybe you have one in December, you know, one in mid-January, and one in early February in, in terms of getting the big six conferences playing each other. And I think it'd be fascinating for the fans, right? I mean, look, you know, to see UCLA against Georgetown or St. John's or to see, you know, like right now this year, to see Providence go up against Arizona. I mean, it could be some great, you know, great games and great, great matchups. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, obviously the, the Big 12 is probably, I mean, so dominant, right? I mean, let's, let's go over this uh, top, top 10 real quick. So Oklahoma State's number one. Our Tar Heels, North Carolina's two, Villanova three. Maryland moves back up. They're at number four. Iowa, who Maryland beat, another Big Ten. Big Ten is solid this year. They're five. Xavier six. Kansas seven. Um, you know, maybe they should be higher at 17 and four. But, you know, and then you, you have another Big 12 team at eight, Texas A&M. Virginia, and we got to talk about that defense, that dominating win over Louisville at number nine. Wow. And number 10, Michigan State. So are we seeing right here in the top 10 uh, potentially uh, our final four? Out of these 10 teams, uh, is the champion in this top 10? And, and of these 10, four of them going to be remaining standing if you had to place a bet today? Yeah, more than likely. I could say that on the outside, though, you know, maybe somebody like uh, Purdue's pretty good. Providence is pretty Providence. good. Uh, SMU, I you know, I don't know about their nineteen and one, but but obviously they haven't played that that level of competition. West Virginia, Miami and Oregon, their press, too, right? Yeah, Miami exactly. West Virginia, tough, yeah. when they put that press on you, Miami of Florida, <laughs> you know, the Oregon Ducks went ahead and beat Arizona and and, and played pretty well. So you're probably right that the that the Final Four is in that top ten, but in the second ten, there's some teams that could definitely compete. This is one of those years where you just it's it's a two game tournament, you know. You want to get out of the first weekend, you want to get out of the second weekend, and then boom, you're in the final four. And really, anybody can be beaten, you know. Carolina can be beaten. And by the way, for the second week in a row, it's pretty close in the coaches' poll. And Carolina is number one in the coaches' poll. And in the AP, it's Oklahoma again. Yeah, no, I saw that. It, it, that's interesting. You know, the coaches, I mean, look, I guess you could go either way. You know, for me, I definitely agree with Oklahoma being number one, even on a Tar Heel fan, just because, look, it's 18-2, it's 19-2, but we all know, if we're being honest, Oklahoma's had a way tougher schedule. Their wins yeah, sure. are so impressive. And um, now, look, this week coming up, TCU, Kansas State, they, they get a little uh, break. And North Carolina, they got a you know an interesting week with Louisville, Notre Dame. They they could be upset this week on the road at both of those places. So I think you know, look, we have some great games tonight this week. Um, 
are there any, you know, upsets you smell coming? Like, could St. John's take Xavier? You know, we we would love to see that as St. John's fans. It might not be too realistic. Or Villanova, could they be had by Georgetown or at Providence this week? What are, you, what are your thoughts about some of those? Yeah, you know, Villanova's beatable. I mean, as good as they are, they're beatable. Georgetown and Providence really could give them a run for the money. So That's a tough week. <laughs> Yeah, it is a pretty tough week. You know, the Big East seems to not get enough credit for, you know, those winning on the road in any conference, but in the Big East is, is, is also pretty pretty tough. The other thing is coaches are starting to look at the conference tournaments. They're starting to look at seeding in the conference tournaments, especially in those tournaments where you have single and double buys. So these games become more and more important because if you can win, especially – in a situation where you and the team you're playing, you know, that's a, that's a two-game swing. So look for the intensity to pick up. You know, everybody talks about March, but the best teams are playing well in February to get yes. that little groove going into March. So I think the level of play is going to pick up this month. Well, this, this week sort of sets us off for the home stretch before the tournament. Most teams have eight games left. Some have seven. And, you know, everybody plays either, you know, two a week or one a week. So this is the home stretch for a lot of teams. And, um, you know, you, you want to see, like, even Iowa State at 16 and 5, you know, they're they're looking like, hey, we've got to, you know, we, we've got to try to be in that top part, you know, of the Big 12, you know, and, and hopefully avoid West Virginia, Kansas, Oklahoma. You know what I mean? They, they you know, Maybe they're in that four or five, them and Baylor, you know, which could be ugly. So it would be interesting, you know, where these teams, like you said, seeding in their conferences, you know, or even having to play West Virginia in the first round. I mean, that, that's what's crazy. The Big 12 is so deep. I mean, you look at West Virginia this week, Ray, they're, they're playing at Iowa State, and then they host Baylor. I mean, that's insane. That's a, that that's a tough week. That's a tough week. <laughs> so, oh, man, you know, I, this is uh, this is definitely a great time of year. We're going to have a lot of fun talking college hoops. The tournament is coming. We're going to get crazy with the brackets this year. Ray and Tay, we're going to uh, have our uh, bracketology. Oh, no, bracketism. That's right. Ray and Tay, we started it, uh, I think, a year or two ago. Bra- hashtag bracketism, the way we break it down. So, you know, look, it, it's um, – Coming to the end of the show, we'll be back Friday for our Super Bowl preview show. I mean, that's really what it's all about. We both – I had the Steelers and Eagles. Ray, what was your Super Bowl pick? Was it Green Bay or Seattle? Who would you have this year? I think I said Green Bay and New England. Mm. Was that Green Bay? Either way. Yeah, I think you had New England. England. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's New England. Either way, we were both, uh, you know, hey. We've had some good years the last couple of years, so, you know. But, you know, we were a little off. This is one of those years where both of these teams were number one, and they do it so differently. They won all the way through. They were, you know, 15 and 1 from Carolina's perspective. And, And remember Denver. And I wonder if this is going to help them in the playoffs or in the, in the Super Bowl. Going into week 16, I guess, not 17 already, but 16, Denver had a chance of being out of the playoffs. When yeah. was the last time you remember a team that could have been out of the playoffs, ended up being in the playoffs, the number one seed, and in the Super Bowl? They send thank you notes to the Miami Dolphins and the Jets. Trust me. <laughs> I can't remember that, but I, I mean, can you remember? Uh, you know what I mean? What a top, what what a topsy turvy, crazy emotional roller coaster. No, you're right. Listen, this team, you know, they one thing you could say, right? They know how to win a close game. Maybe Carolina under pressure. Maybe they can't win a close game. Now they have, right? But you know, like the Giant game, Seahawks game. But, you know, maybe we'll see how they handle the pressure. Cam Newton, uh, Super Bowl pressure. Although, although, to be fair, Peyton Manning, he hasn't handled, uh, like, extreme pressure the way you would think he has. Like, 
that Super Bowl against the Seahawks, the fumble, and just the way he played, like he choked. I mean, he was horrible. You know, so. Yeah, for sure. I would also say. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, I would also say, you know, Carolina has not had a normal playoff in the sense that usually you don't go up that big that quickly on most teams. So if Denver holds the game close and it's low scoring, let's say it's, you know, 7-3, 7-6, 10-7 at the half, you know, Carolina hasn't really played that close a game in the playoffs. No, that's exactly what I was there, exactly what I'm saying. You never know. Well, listen, it's coming. Let's watch media night tonight, some good NBA, some good college hoops. Have a great sports week, and we will be back Friday afternoon, maybe early evening, or maybe Friday same time, and we will be talking SB50, Super Bowl 50, Broncos against the Panthers. Enjoy the sports week. Thanks for listening. We're out.